0: Okay, I'm on my way to the bus stop. I've, uh... Oh, welcome to episode three, by the way. Hi, thanks for tuning in again. I say tuning in as if it's a radio. Thanks for yeah, you know. Anyway, it's uh, very cold minus minus eight. It says, but feels like minus thirteen. So you get some bonus, some bonus degrees there. I'm not quite sure how that works it's something to do with humidity or something uh, it is cold i'll i'll agree so I basically had to write an essay for for uni for for my course, and uh, this is what this episode is me just reading it out, and I kind of touch on the themes of. Uh, that are are in the Carrier Bag Theory of Fiction. Um, And I kind of talk about the podcast. If it's... Apologies if it's kind of like a bit too much about the the podcast, if you know what I mean. Where it's like, I'm just talking about the podcast on the podcast and not talking about things. (laughs) Um, But I just thought that I wrote it and I'm kind of talking about how... The process of making this is is part of designing my practice to be sustainable. Uh, and if you don't really know much about oh, the street lights just turned on, very nice. I like it when that happens. Uh, yeah, if you if you're kind of unfamiliar with term, things around artistic practice and things like that, then this might be uh, uh, interesting to you. Or it might not be. So I hope you enjoy. I had a slightly different recording setup. I was doing it in my room. Uh, the sound is not great in there, and I was had my recorder sat on top of a couscous box. So <laughs> hopefully the sound quality is okay. It's different to the last time when I had a bit a better setup, um, and I'm recording this on my phone. So, it should sound better than this at least. Uh, you see what I've done there? Anyway, I'll be back at the end to kind of sum up, but uh, this is called, What's in my bag? Um, and I hope you enjoy. What's in my bag? By Finlay J. Hall. The Carrier Bag Theory of Fiction is an essay written by Ursula K. Le Guin and first published in 1986. In 2019, an edition was published by Ignota, a small A6 book with a plain white cover. A copy of this edition made its way onto my girlfriend's bookshelf. Once, during a difficult time, she was crying, and I was going through her bookshelf to try and fix the problem. I pulled out this small book. What about this? I said to her. Another time, we were locked inside during a warm spring, with plenty of sunshine reaching through the tall windows. My eyes flitted over the spines of the same bookshelf, searching for something to read. Something manageable. I picked Cat's Cradle by Kurt Vonnegut. Perhaps I would have picked The Carry Bag Theory of Fiction had I, at that point, finished reading The Left Hand of Darkness, another book by Ursula K. Le Guin that my girlfriend had gifted me for Christmas the year before. This is how it usually goes with books, it often takes me a long time to read them, one or two years is not uncommon. In fact, the book I'm reading now, Norwegian Wood by Haruki Murakami, was lent to me a year and a half ago, and I'm only about halfway through. This copy of Norwegian Wood has been with me in Dundee, London, Palermo, Bergen, Oslo, Marseille and Edinburgh, and as such, is in considerably worse condition than when my friend Matthew lent me it. Sorry, Matthew. In return, I lent him the left hand of darkness. I don't know if he's finished it yet. The first half takes the longest. Then once it kind of kicks in, I can finish the rest within a week. As such, I haven't read that many books. Considerably less than my girlfriend, who devours books with much more enjoyment than effort. So I chose Cat's Cradle. It was relatively thin. I stood a chance. The year previous, I had read Slaughterhouse-Five and God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, both by Kurt Vonnegut too. I love his style of writing, the humour, the sci-fi and the ways narrative structures jump about through time and space. Choosing this book was a safe choice. Had things been different, I might have read the small white book first. Two months ago, I was going through the reading list for the semester. By then, Le Guin was a writer I could confidently say that I liked. The Left Hand of Darkness was beautiful to read and the ideas in The Dispossessed and the word for world is forest had been subject to much discussion between my partner and me. She listened to the audiobooks and gave me a summary. However, I haven't actually read either myself yet. The Carrier Bag Theory of Fiction was one of the books in the list. Much like when selecting Cat's Cradle, I knew this text was short and i had had previous experience with the author. In other words, I stood a chance. To give myself even more of a chance, I decided to look for an audio version of the essay. I found one on a podcast called Dyke Reader, a podcast sharing feminist essays and texts read in a mixture of languages. I sort of understood the point of the text, but it wasn't until we had a lecture the next day that I began to really understand. The text compares the traditional story structure to a spear, a sword, an arrow, or something similarly phallic and used for killing. Le Guin makes a case for stories shaped more like bags, sacks, boxes, stomachs, containers, and doesn't shy away from lists such as this. Asserting that this is the proper form a novel should take, she highlights the benefits of creating not just a story, but a universe – When this clicked for me, I got that feeling. The one where it's like someone has just told you something you already knew, but you couldn't put words to. As someone with ADHD, my brain works more like the carrier bag than the spear. I can't very easily go from A to B without stopping off somewhere in between. My train of thought can at times be runaway, rapid, unrelenting. This makes me think of that, and that makes me think of these, which, of course, reminds me of those. At school, I used to get told off for asking questions that were seemingly unrelated to the topic at hand. The teacher and the rest of the class were not on board the train, but it made sense to me. They were holding different, more well-organised bags on different, more predictable trains, to perhaps stretch the metaphor a bit. I saw an interconnected world. Even seemingly unrelated things could be relevant. This meant that I've always had quite an open mind. Openness is the name of the game. Italians talk about open and closed flavours. I view artworks as open and closed as well. If an artwork seems to ask questions, it's grey and blurry, experimental, ephemeral or perhaps immaterial, then in all likelihood I might consider it an open artwork. If a work delivers statements, is decided and confident, or is allegorical, then in all likelihood I might consider it closed. The spear is closed, but the bag is open. I strive, too, to operate an open practice, inquisitive and unfinished. The practice is the bag, and the works are the foraged berries and mushrooms inside. A lot of my time this semester has been spent thinking about how to design and maintain a sustainable practice. Sustainability is also the name of the game. If my practice isn't sustainable... By definition I won't be able to do it indefinitely like I want. My practice must be adaptable and open. Before my move to Oslo, my practice relied before my move to Oslo, my practice relied a lot on my community of friends in Dundee. Once I'd moved though, I was without this community in the same way. I had to rethink how I did things. what the focus of my actions were. No more collaboration as a given, no more phoning people up with half an hour's notice to get them to help me with the project, no more group of people that I could rely on to show up to any event I hosted. This was freeing in a way. It meant that I was pushed to reshape the way I thought about making work. But how could I also hold on to these things that I lost? My answer in some form Was a podcast. The podcast acts as the bag or a box inside the bag of my practice. And within the podcast, there's room for collaboration, communication, sharing, expression, experimentation, as well as the format acting as an archive of activity. This is another aspect that I wanted to solve. How do I archive my activity in a way that is natural? and is ideally part of the process of making the thing in the first place. In my experience, tasks like filing, cataloguing, or organizing have a habit of not getting done at all, whereas I can be extremely productive and focused in immediate, reactive, and creative tasks. The archiving process, then, must take this shape in order to stand a chance of ever being done. Achievability Equals sustainability. Finley Hall podcast, as it's currently called, will be fluid and reactive in form. It will, to some degree, reject the hierarchy of importance that is cast upon activity within a practice and instead place equal importance on a collection of tidbits, musings and field recordings. It will contain traditional podcast structures such as interviews, conversations, and oral essays, but these may be interspersed with the less traditional in order to create a representation of my practice as a whole. As podcasting is a relatively new medium, I aim to explore its potential as a cornerstone to an artistic practice that doesn't rely on galleries and other institutions. Instead, it will be an independent and open venue for artistic exchange between myself, the listeners, and other artists and non artists in my personal network. So far, I have published two episodes. The first was an introduction to the podcast, explaining my intentions and thoughts about the medium while I walked around the city doing errands. This allowed me to record my thoughts as they occurred and try them out without the inherent difficulties that come with reading and writing for me. The second was a reading of The Carrier Bag Theory of Fiction in an audiobook style, allowing me to further my understanding of it in a way that I'd struggle to by reading alone. One issue with the podcast being called Finley Hall Podcast is that it sells me as a central focus. This is spear-like behaviour. However, I was stuck on the name and had to decide on one to move forward. Choosing this name, even though I knew it wasn't right, left it as a problem that could be solved over time. The name is open to change, and perhaps a new name will come as a result of the process of podcasting. It's 2010, and I'm looking on iTunes for a new podcast to listen to. I find one called Answer me this. Helen Zaltzman and Ollie Mann are the hosts, along with Martin the Soundman, an equi voice that occasionally chimes in as if from heaven above. The main format of the podcast was that listeners would send in questions and Helen, and Ollie, and Martin would answer them. The atmosphere was fun, casual, and humorous. Along with the main format of answering questions, there were other elements that really added to the show's personality. A different topical theme tune every week, comedy jingles, and recurring characters such as Dave from Smethick, a listener with a distinct, high-pitched voice who would frequently send in long-winded, rambling voicemails. With live, long-form and episodic formats, it's repetition that brings the form. Chance happenings and experimentation along the way allow for the best parts to stick around and the not-so-good things to get left behind. It's the summer just past. I finally get round to listening to the Blind Boy podcast, a show that my friend Callum had lauded, recommended and referenced innumerable amounts over the past year. Escape the hedgehog's headlock, you dreadlocked Costigans, begins Blind Boy in the episode entitled, Barbie and Mattel as Millennial Pavlovian Conditioning. In it, Blind Boy explores the idea of millennials being treated like children and compares them to house cats in a perpetual state of kittenhood, over his trademark background minimal piano music. Before stopping for the Ocarina Pause, the advert section of the podcast where he's meant to play an ocarina, but almost never has one to hand, Instead, he uses a book he's reading to hit himself over the head to provide a sonic warning that an advert is about to begin. It's clear that this format has been developed over time. Blind Boy went to art school. A short time after I graduated, I had an idea to cross the city in a straight line. This would rely on going through people's houses, through windows over fences and whatever else might be in the way. A classically spear-like idea. I told this to a friend and then about six months later I saw a video on YouTube titled I attempted to cross an entire country in a straight line, part one, by the YouTuber GeoWizard. This video is not performance art but it is similar. If it was presented differently it could easily be shown in a gallery without anyone batting an eyelid. Content creators can often look like artists, but with financially more viable practices. I think there's a snobbery around content creators, perhaps due to their motivation being seen as primarily financial rather than primarily for the art. If we think about common models of practice out with the gallery representation model, however, what we see is often an indirect funding stream. DJing may support music production. Workshops in schools may support a writing practice. Art handling may support a painting career. It's February of this year and I'm stacking timber slabs in the cold with my friend and gallery technician colleague, Henry. He tells me that Philip Glass worked as a plumber into his 40s. Henry says... In the gallery technician world, there are some people that are technicians because they want to be technicians and some people that are technicians because they want to be artists. It's a fairly good model, as tech work pays quite well and it's on a freelance basis, leaving plenty of time to pursue other projects. But when some people are technicians for too long, they can become soured by it, unable to pursue their artistic career as much as they'd like. This is what I want to avoid. My goal is to sustain an artistic practice, so I must make this possible for myself. Perhaps one way of doing this is thinking holistically about my practice, viewing each element as an important piece that contributes to a collection, like a sound collage on a podcast, or like salad leaves in a bag. I've got I'm off the bus now and hopefully you've listened to that I'm crossing this bridge over the river into the uh, art school and uh, the river's frozen and then there's snow on the on the on the ice kind of strange looks pretty cool there's part of it's not frozen but it's like a lot narrower quite amazing. Um, Thanks to Jamie for helping me a lot with that text. Um, And everything that I mentioned, I'll put a link in the description for. Thanks to you for listening. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, If not, let me know. Tell me it was boring or something. And and, and it's it's all useful feedback. Uh, Get in touch on Instagram, at Loonbeams, L-O-O-N-B-E-A-M-S. That's the best way to contact me just now. so. Okay, see you on the next one, I guess. Thanks for listening. Bye. There were some people there just putting a, a padlock on the bridge to signify their love, which was quite strange because I was just listening to a podcast where they talked about that. Um, strange how that happens sometimes. Okay, thanks for listening. Bye.